0: Of your love. The, of your love. Are here. the Bible reading for today is Matthew chapter 5 verse 43 to 48. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? And are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I want to introduce you to Steve Frost, or Frosty as we affectionately call yeah. him. Steve works in our legal practice. For those who don't know, Horizons Family Law. And Steve is a principal solicitor in there and they help families that are doing it really tough, often in situations of domestic violence and people who really are at the end of their rope and just don't know where to turn, and this gracious man of God and his team step into that place in really beautiful ways. And so tonight we're continuing our series called Magnetic, and we're really talking about living the grace of God, being people of grace. And I can think of no one better to talk about being a person of grace than Mr. Frost, who I watch do this all the time through the week. So I'm going to hand over to you. Cool. Thanks. Oh, I'm plugged. Hey, church. So I'm Steve, and as Cathy said, I'm the thing that lives in your roof. Um, uh, you let me out occasionally, which is very kind of you. Yeah, I'm really excited for the chance to serve with you guys tonight. I've been listening to everything you've been saying like an unattended iPhone. I uh, have been podcasting over the last few weeks to, to make sure that uh, what I'm entering into, I have a sense of where you're up to and how you got here. and. Uh, I've really enjoyed listening to Trav and Steve, and i podcasted Christine's thing the other day. Ben's is like, it's like hidden. It's like so valuable that they won't even share it on the free podcast, so (laughs) it must be like join Patreon, and I can somehow get my hands on it, but uh, I haven't heard Benny's one. He can give me the the rundown later on, but yeah, I'm really excited by the series that you're in and the opportunity to serve into it. What I wanted to do uh, right at the beginning of the time that you've given to me was just to, for a moment, get you to stop, because we rush around so much. It's super important when you come to engage with God anywhere, anytime that you slow down. He's moving at his own pace. Uh, he's, <laughs> if you're racing ahead of him, uh, he's just going to keep moving at his own pace. So what I want you to do, just before I launch into the things that I want to share, just for a moment, think in this moment, uh, right now, it's like 6.13 on the 8th of March, it's never happened before and it'll never happen again. Just in this moment, what are you thankful for? So I'm not going to get you to share it with anybody, I'm not going to talk about it as a whole room, but I do want you to just, for a moment, think through what's going on in your life and in the world and grab at least one thing that you're thankful for. I'm going to be quiet for a moment and let you do that. My hunch is, uh, if we talked about that as a room, there'd be a bunch of you that are thankful for things that you have in your homes, things that make your lives easier or more fun. I imagine some of you would be thankful for things that you have in friendship, like the actual people who are just bring you alive or support you when things are tough or just those people that you really value in your life. And some of you might be thankful for things that are happening in the world or things that have stopped happening in the world. Uh, there's all sorts of things that would have come to mind for different ones of you. And if you're an introvert, and you don't know what to say in a conversation after the service, just, get, just ask the person who is sitting next to you, what were you thankful for at the beginning? And you'll be neck deep in a conversation before you know what's going on. But I just want to run an experiment. How many of you, when you thought about what you were thankful for in that moment, 6.13, it's now 6.14, you missed that moment if you didn't do it. Uh, How many of you, when you were thinking about what you were thankful for in that moment, thought of photosynthesis? Don't rush me, but yep, there was a maybe over here, I see that hand. Anyone, anyone? Anyone? Uh, so this this is, and I need to say this out loud, this is why in any social situation I'm the awkward one. I was running some training with a school up in the Blue Mountains not super long ago and they were coming into lunchtime and they sort of gave me the opportunity to say thanks or give grace or whatever it is. And, and so I said, hey, that's fine, I can do that, no worries at all. And so I just start praying and my prayer starts with... Father, just thanks for trees and light and photosynthesis. You, you do realise we'd all be dead if those things didn't exist, yeah? Okay, good. And I don't know what their reaction was. I have my eyes closed because that's how I pray most of the time. And I can imagine, though, that some of them would have thought, A, this guy's weird. And another bundle of them would have thought, we could be here for a while if we're giving thanks for things starting there. I don't really know. To be perfectly honest, I don't much care. That's what was on my heart, so I said it. It's <laughs> kind of how I've decided to live my life. And the reality is I have become the kind of person who is Genuinely thankful whenever I stop long enough for things like trees and light and photosynthesis. Because I know, I didn't make any of them, I can't breathe without them, and so they're a kindness from God. In fact, in the field of theology, it's kind of people who think a lot about God and try and say things that are helpful about that. In the field of theology, they've even got a label for this. They call it common grace. It's the grace that everybody gets everywhere all the time, mostly without even realizing it's happening because God isn't standing around waving, saying, please give me credit for that. So this idea of common grace, so this, in preparing for this talk where you've asked me to come and talk about radical love and grace... For one reason or another, I've been drawn to this idea of the the kindness, the goodness, the the affection, the attentiveness that everyone, everywhere is always getting all the time and we mostly don't notice. So I started to think, if our sun was just a bit bigger or a bit smaller, our planet, the one that we live on, the one that we rely upon for heat and water and everything else, it, it wouldn't sustain life because it would just be too hot or too cold. Equally, if we had the exact same size sun, but the planet on which we live, the Earth, was a little bit further away, or for that matter, a little bit closer, we would have the same problem. It would be too hot or too cold. Some scientists uh, have figured out, I don't know how they figured it out, could be right, could be wrong, who knows, but it's an interesting statistic. If we were 5% closer, or 15% further away from the sun as a planet, we would not be able to sustain life. That's not much of a margin of error when you think of the size of the cosmos, To give you a a sense around that, so Venus, which is our nearest neighbour to the left, the direction where the sun is, I just made that up, I have no idea what direction the sun is, Uh, but Venus, the planet next closest to the sun after us, uh, is two light minutes closer to the sun than us. That is, if you're sitting around looking at a light ray that just arrived at Earth, it went past Venus just two minutes ago. It's not super far in the scheme of things. If you were on Venus right now, you would in all likelihood be standing in a balmy 470 degrees Celsius heat wave. So for all of you people who are whinging about how hot the summer that just went by was in Sydney, think about the poor folks on Venus, or more accurately, the poor folks who aren't on Venus because it can't sustain life. (laughs) Uh, There's All sorts of things, when you start thinking this, the, the common grace, the invisible kindness, the wonder of what makes this moment possible, at all is just astonishing. Uh, We live on a planet that happens to have a magma core. Uh, Every time I say that, I think of Austin Powers. We live on a planet that has a magma core. And because it still has a magma core that hasn't cooled, we have geothermic activity, things that kind of shoot up through the the cracks in the ground. Uh, We also have a a crust around the outside of our earth that's made up of tectonic plates, which are capable of moving. And the combination of a magma core and geothermic activity and tectonic plates means that we live on an earth that's textured. We have mountains, we have crevices, in the ocean, the whole thing. And first of all, it's beautiful. I don't know if you've actually been to, say, New Zealand, just as a randomly selected country, where I was also born. It's mind-blowing. You you go over there and the sheer beauty of what these things, these forces in our world have done is extraordinary. If somehow you had a submarine that was capable of pulling it off, I'm sure if you went down to the deepest depths of the ocean, you would see amazing things there as well. But These things are handy for another reason, because if the Earth was perfectly smooth, all of us would be under four kilometres of water right now. And I don't know how good a swimmer you are, but I'm not that good. (laughs) It's on and on and on and on. Our moon moon is like a quarter the size of our Earth. It is, in our solar system, proportionally to the planet that it's rotating around, the biggest moon. It's like all the other other planets have massive moon envy about Earth. They just go, oh, I wish I had a moon like yours. (laughs) The benefit of our moon, being the size that it is and in the place that it is, first of all, it stays in place. It doesn't crash into us and it doesn't veer away from us, at least not too quickly. Apparently it's moving away at two centimetres a year, but it's going to be okay for about another two billion years. It won't be a problem. But the way that it's all set up allows the Earth to spin on the exact angle that the Earth needs to spin on for us to experience seasons like we experience seasons and to maintain the speed that it needs to keep spinning and not end up wobbling like a top and stopping and for that matter just to make oceans be awesome when you go for a body surf all of it, the common grace of God. And even once you stop thinking about just the proportions and unlikelihood of all those things, just for a moment think about, if you just tweaked any randomly selected bunch of important events in history, how the world would be different. Just as as one randomly selected example, if you for example were to say that the meteor that wiped out the dinosaurs didn't hit the earth until next year, that would make a massive difference to your life. Because I can tell you this, you would no longer be the apex predator on our planet. And everything we have in terms of civilization, everything humanity's been able to build by being the dominant species on the planet, all of that wouldn't exist. Man, I could go on like this for hours, because I am a nerd. (laughs) But I just want to say to you guys, you know, sometimes, falsely, faith and science get set off against each other. I just want to call that as nonsense. The more I listen to science, the more I am beckoned towards a creator who is close and kind and caring. Before I even open my Bible, I love whoever this creator is. There's just something endlessly, immeasurably generous in the heart of the one who brought all this into being and is sustaining it even now. I'm not surprised then when I open Scripture and I start seeing this Creator make Himself known to His creation. That kind of generosity in the words that He chooses to express to us. So if you flick like super close to the beginnings of your Bibles, you'll see right in the first book of the Bible, this Creator starts reaching out and wanting to be in faithful, long-term, committed relationships with humanity. The Bible talks about them as covenants. And in Genesis 9, the first covenant that the Creator of all things ever makes, He words this way, He says, As for me... I'm establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you. He's talking to Noah at this point in time, just after the flood. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the domestic animals, and every animal on the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. And he talks a bit longer about the promises that he's making to all those things, and then he rounds up this way. He says, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that's on earth. I remember preaching a series around creation care as a really natural expression of Christian faith and bumping into these words and really paying attention to them for the first time because it had never struck me before that the creator of all things had chosen to be in a covenantal, loving, committed, faithful relationship with every living thing on the face of planet earth. Next time you're lying in bed at night and the frogs in the pool next door start croaking, just remind yourself God is in covenant relationship with those frogs. We had chickens for all. We lived on six and a half acres for five years and and had goats and chickens. Goats, unbelievably dumb. Uh, Chickens, hilarious. For me, I would go outside then and with these words in my ears, I would literally look at my chickens and I would tell them that Jesus loves them, which I know is kind of bonkers, but I actually want to consciously remind myself at as many moments as I possibly can that this is how gracious and generous and kind and caring the Creator of all things is to all things, He is wonderfully good. So I would say that um, the one that Jesus ended up calling our Father, which is the language that He adopts when He comes to earth, the one that Jesus called our Father has always been a God of radically expansive and surprisingly inclusive love and grace. He gets a bad rap a bunch of times and there's a heap of people who read the Old Testament as though he's just another narrow partisan tribal God affectionate towards Israel and against everybody else. These words just say that misunderstands what's happening within that story because the generous thing happened before the specific thing. When Jesus comes to earth Do you know that the Scriptures, um, so many people just wonder what God is like and so the Scriptures just say, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. Elsewhere they'll say that Jesus is the exact imprint and likeness of the one who dwells in eternity. As far as the writers of the Bible are concerned, whatever Jesus is like, the one towards whom we are guessing all the time is like that as well. And so if the one from whom all things came, the one towards whom we're guessing is as big and generous and inclusive as I'm saying, He is, then it shouldn't surprise us when Jesus comes with just as radically expansive and surprisingly inclusive love and grace in the way that he talks and lives. And so there's this day where he's talking to the people that are around him, he's, he's telling them something easy to implement, like don't worry about anything, and then he starts telling them all the reasons why they shouldn't worry about anything, and, and, and partway through he just starts riffing about the way that creation is looked after by its creator, and so we hear Jesus saying these words, look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. That's a really attentive thing for the creator of the cosmos to do. <laughs> he goes on, because we already know from Genesis 9 that God is in a loving, covenantal relationship with all flesh, but Jesus actually goes, man, you guys haven't even guessed the half of it yet. Because what he goes on to say is this, he says, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they, they neither toil nor, nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory, which is like, For Jesus like saying, even the Kardashians in all their glory. Actually, it's nothing like that. (laughs) Because he goes on to say, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. And you're meaning something completely different if you're saying you're not clothed like the Kardashians. But you get the sense. Even Solomon in all his amazing splendor wasn't as beautiful as these tiny, delicate things that were created and brought into being and are still being treated generously and with extraordinary honor by the same God that we approached in worship about 25 minutes ago. (laughs) That blows my mind. It literally still, as I'm standing here talking to you now, still bewilders me how good and gracious and broad and inclusive and expansive His love is. It it does me in. Uh, Jesus goes on and He says this, He says, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you? We live in a world where people splinter off, where we divide up into the good and the bad and the right and the wrong and the wise and the foolish and the pretty and the ugly and the popular and the unpopular. And living on a globe where literally every living thing is connected to every other living thing, we split things up between species and categories that Jesus is just saying, it's all nonsense, none of it exists. (laughs) There's only one category and that's loved by God and sustained by his grace and that's why you helping your mates play soccer together is sacred what would it look like if there was an outbreak of that kind of vision for the world Um, these words that were read for us earlier you've heard it said you shall love your neighbour and hate your enemy everyone's doing that that's that's an old story but it's a dead and lifeless and draining story so Jesus says but whenever you see Jesus say but he's always about to go on to something good (laughs) but I say to you Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father. Uh, what he means by that's a uniquely Jewish way of speaking, but what he means is you will actually look like the one who created you if you love your enemies and bless those who persecute you. Uh, if you skip forward in the story, you, you guys know that that's what the one who made you is like, because on the cross he shows himself to be the kind of God who even if you kill him will die loving you. Jesus goes on to say, um, Why why would we love our enemies and bless those who persecute you? Um, because our Father makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. <laughs> For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do that? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Don't, don't even the Gentiles do the same? And then he just lands on this mind-blowing sentence be perfect even as your father in heaven is perfect and too many streams of christian thinking water that down and say well i mean of course he doesn't actually mean that i mean we're sinners saved by grace we can't be perfect (laughs) the but was earlier in the conversation it's not after be perfect as even as your heavenly father is perfect jesus just has a big vision For what's possible when you point yourself towards your Creator, receive the gift of His Spirit and have a crack. If you want to know what else it might look like, as well as these gritty practical things for this vision of like a, a, a world awash with love, <laughs> um, what you see when you look on the pages of the accounts of Jesus' life is he doesn't spend a lot of time checking people's theological or moral or social credentials before he just shines his own sun on them and rains his own rain on them. He just, he just rocks up and expresses his very nature towards them, which is endlessly grace and love. Uh, and so we read in Matthew 4, these words, that Jesus went throughout Galilee, which is right up the north of, of Israel, teaching in the synagogue and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. So his fame spread, as it would. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they, and they brought to him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, and paralytics, and he cured them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Now, I'm just making hand gestures because, again, I told you this earlier, I'm a nerd and I know where these places are on the map. (laughs) And what Matthew's kind of doing here, and we can miss it really, really easily if we're not students of kind of first century Middle Eastern geography, which is pretty much no one is a student of. What he's hinting at here is, yeah, sure, like Jesus is being awesomely beautiful towards the people that everybody already knew were God's people. That the, the Hebrews and the Israelites have been walking around for millennia saying, yeah, we totally know that Yahweh has fixed his affections on us and we're his. That's awesome. What Jesus is doing here, though, is breaking the boundaries of every neat religious thought that anyone's ever had, that there are those who are in and those who are out, those who are loved by Yahweh and those who aren't loved by Yahweh, those who will get his graciousness and his goodness and those who won't. Because Syria completely outside Israel, full of, last time I checked, Syrians. At that point in time, there was a bunch of Greeks and Romans and all sorts of other people there as well. But Jesus is just saying, this thing that I'm doing is not hermetically sealed at the edges, it's breaking out. Paul, the guy who really took this to the world, he just goes, you know what, this is going to get in everywhere and change everything for everyone. They just have at it. But in this little passage from Matthew 4, you just see Jesus saying, I don't care what your religion is. I don't care what your ethnicity is. I don't care what the moral quality of your life is. I'm not checking what thoughts you have about the most exquisite bits of theological reasoning. I'm just walking here being the presence of the God who's been making himself known ever since before creation came into being before the foundation of the world is how the scriptures talk about it. And what I want to say is that in this Jesus, he treats the radically expansive and surprisingly inclusive love and grace of our Father as the fixed point of reference in all he does. All he does. So if you're caught in adultery, he doesn't say, oh well, I don't know how I should treat you today, that's a pretty naughty or silly thing to do. He says, here's what I know. I know that Love and grace are expansive and inclusive to such an extent that even you, even now, are still included. And when little Zacchaeus, the massive rip-off merchant who's subsidizing the Roman Empire's occupation of Israel, climbs a tree to catch a glimpse of Jesus, when Jesus sees him, he knows, I don't think about you as a rip-off merchant and a person to be excluded because you are forcing your people to live under oppression. I see you as a person who is included in the expansive, radical love and grace of God. And he invites himself home for dinner, he completely undoes Zacchaeus' business model, and he leaves just a changed man. And for that matter, I need to say this. When Jesus sees a Pharisee, a proud religious folk who reckon they've got God worked out, shoved in their tiny little box... When he says to them, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, and calls them whitewashed tombs, and at one point even, on one of his less pastoral days, children of hell, he's not finally identifying some category of people who are outside the expansive and inclusive love and grace of God. He's finding people who are inside it and are utterly blind to where they are. They need to be shaken with the kinds of words that he speaks to wake them up the vision that their father their creator that Jesus has of them and for them with their lives it's a whole new world when you point yourself towards this stuff I've got some friends of mine who um, pastor a church up in Byron Bay and long before every Hemsworth brother built a mansion there. Um, Byron Bay was kind of like the epicentre of people who were searching for something spiritual but not super up for conventionally shaped religion would go and so when Phil and Ree moved up there they had to work out well how do we be the loving, engaging, inclusive, expansive presence of God's love and grace here in this fascinating corner of the globe called Byron Bay Uh, and so they started up a a church that's now called Tribe and um, they deliberately went about trying to do something that sprung from Jesus but was invitational for the people that they were meeting around them in their communities. And as time went by, in addition to kind of serving in their own community, they started going into uh, New Age festivals around Australia and they kind of go in and they put up a booth and um, they, they have a little menu that they offer to people who walk through there and The menu offers only four menu items, so they won't be starting a fast food restaurant anytime soon. Uh, But on their menu item, if you're interested as you walk past their booth, are supernatural healing, spiritual blessing, dream interpretation, and supernatural encounter. Which sounds a bit weird if you say it to a bunch of people who are over-educated Western Protestants, but if you're talking to people who are turning up at New Age festivals, they're going, that sounds awesome. I need to stop there for a minute because when I say New Age festivals, you're conjuring up some image in your mind. Last time we were there, which was October last year, the booth next to us was a booth about making fabulous eyebrows. So not everybody who's in the New Age festival is like super out there and that's pretty stiff competition when all you've got is like spiritual blessing and they've got fabulous eyebrows, that's a tough market. Uh, But uh, the deal is just someone comes and they go, I've seen your menu, I'm super up for this thing here. There's a couple of people who then just... Trust Jesus and, and go for it with them. What we would normally talk about is prayer. And so this lady called Julia came in and um, myself and another person had the opportunity to kind of have a little chat with her. And she says, oh, I'm here. I'm here. I'm just really wanting some supernatural healing. I've got pain in my neck. I've got pain in my lower back. I've got pain in my right knee whatever you can do about that would be great. And uh, so we just say, yeah, we just want you to let you know that um, there's, there's lots of booths here doing lots of things in lots of different ways. We work with the Spirit of Christ. We only work with the Spirit of Christ. Whatever happens while we're with you, that's from the Spirit of Christ. So we'll just, we kind of explain to her just the mechanics of, you know, we'll just talk for a little while. One of us might touch you on the shoulder or something, but we'll just see what happens. And then we just kind of, go for it. Uh, I actually really like it when people come in and say that they want uh, supernatural healing because it's the one thing you can't fake. All the other ones, you're never quite sure whether you've dream interpreted the right way or whether the spiritual blessing was something you made up, but supernatural healing, it either happens or it doesn't, and if it happens, I didn't do it. (laughs) So uh, I start getting excited in these moments, also with a little bit of terror. I just put my hand behind her neck, I don't touch her, uh, and I just say, I just release the goodness of Christ into your neck. And literally, as I said those words, she jolted like I'd just injected electricity into her, and she said, "I can feel it." Okay, so, you know, that's that's just the spirit of Christ, and He's just letting you know that He's releasing the goodness of Christ into your neck. And you know, if it's okay, we're just going to keep kind of doing this for a bit longer because you said you had pain in your back and pain in your knee, and so we want to keep you know kind of pursuing that, and we keep praying for a bit longer and and my sense as we were praying for her was just to keep releasing the goodness of Christ and and to ask for healing physical healing as an as a sign of how valued she was to her creator that's that's actually what I was saying to her while we're together Um, and at the end of this time as me and the other person we finish up at some point we have a sense that we're done and we say to Julia how was that how are you and she says like I'm I'm tingling all over and I don't have any pain in my body anywhere now full disclosure If you're super bored and you want to come and talk to me afterwards about a collection of stories of people I prayed for who didn't get healed, super happy to tell you those stories as well. But I just want to be the kind of person who tells all the stories at different times, and that's tonight's story. I then look back at a story like that and the language that I was forced to use, which to be really honest is really open-handed and vague. I, I totally get that. My hope is that it's specific enough and with enough little breadcrumbs spread close enough together for a person who's motivated to be able to follow that back to its source, which is Jesus. Uh, But I totally get that some of you here will just be going, man, that is like out there, zany, vague, non-finished nonsense. I know you're thinking that because occasionally I think it as well. And yet I'm heartened then when I come to the way that the first generation of people who are working out how to explain the Jesus event and everything happening after the Jesus event to their culture, their time. And so there's this guy called Paul, he wrote most of the New Testament, Uh, and he at some point ends up in a city called Athens and he goes to the, the top of a place called the Areopagus and there's this kind of you know, worship set up there where there's all these different statues of different gods that, that people come to. And Paul, standing in the middle of this area, says this, he says, "...the God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things." And I love the second half of that sentence. (laughs) If you just set your face this week to do something that helps people know that there is a creator who is giving them breath and life and all things, you will suddenly find that you are a much more enjoyable Christian to be around. Paul goes on to say this, he says, In him we uh, live and move and have our being, Uh, as some of even your own prophets have said, uh, for we too are his offspring. I don't know where you guys are at when, when you come here tonight. Some of you guys will have been like, I'm in Jesus a long time ago. Some of you will be going, I'm a bit sketchy about it, but it's worse than sitting, It's not, not worse than sitting at home watching yet more Netflix, so I'll go anyway. Some of you may be here tonight just saying, you know what, like I, just, I just have a sense that tonight's a night where I have to make a shift. And I, um, I know that saying I'm going to throw my whole life into something is like a nerve-wracking affair. Uh, I did it once too. But I just want to say this, this is what you may choose to opt into. A generous, expansive, inclusive God of radical love and grace who has all your life already been the source of everything you've ever got that made life worth living. Every breath you get is a gift from Him through the deep mystery of photosynthesis. (laughs) Photosynthesis. And if you choose to be in, you have a lifetime supply of goodness to discover because that's what awaits you on the other side. Uh, And for those of you who are already in who go, wow, that was vaguely interesting at different times, but I'm wondering what it means for me as I leave here in a few moments. Uh, Here's what I want to say. I want to say that the God, that that was a really hopeful commentary on my own sermon, wasn't it? The God who's making Himself known to you and through you is still a God of radically expansive and surprisingly inclusive love and grace. And you, 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 look in the mirror, you are His expression of that in your world. You are the means by which this God gets into your school, your uni, your friendship group, your household, your networks of relationship, your neighbourhood, your industry, you. That's why the scriptures say you are the light of the world. That's why the scriptures say Christ in you is the hope of glory. You are the grace smuggler, the love infuser who gets to go out and be this wherever you go this week. Uh, So um, I just want to say this week, uh, just do something. I'll be really honest, I don't much care what it is. Make an artwork, write a song, do some small practical act of compassion, pray for someone, just do something. Get catalyzed by Holy Spirit and become part of His momentum in the world. Do something so strikingly expressive of the radical love and grace that we receive in Christ that it wakes others up and draws others to the one who gives to all mortals, life and breath and all things. I'm going to pray, if you're a prayer, um, would you pray with me? If you've walked into this building tonight and you've been overanalyzing your theological or moral or social credentials and excluding yourself from the love and grace of God, it's time to down arms and, and accept that God's already made peace with you. <laughs> Every now and then Elsa gets it right. You've just got to let it go, man. And don't pick it up again, because Jesus is not doing that to you in any nanosecond of your life. And if your heart's beating faster and you feel finally four talks into this series as though the magnetic God might just be worth letting yourself be drawn to, you don't need to pray any more scientifically crafted prayer than I'm in. I would super encourage you to grab someone else and talk to them about that before you leave tonight. Uh, But I'm in will do from his perspective. Follow it up with, would you please plant your spirit in me and you'll have all the resources you need to live this life. And for all the rest of us, Father, would you just pour out your goodness on us in exactly the right kind of supply this week that we would be constantly aware of your goodness, your faithfulness, your closeness and your kindness to everything, everywhere, all the time. And as well, that we will wake others up to that ourselves. Amen.